the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Good friends, my name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The show all about diving into the mess, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, doesn't tie up with a nice bow at the end because I think if we're honest, that's probably where a lot of us live and we'd love to engage with you. You can do that a couple of different ways. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312 312- Six six zero two five nine four. We would love to talk to you, and we made it. It's Thursday, Thursday. But it's also kind of gross out, isn't it? Like this is like Chicago doesn't know what to do with winter right now. <laughs> and can I just say, my wife, I love her to death. She's coming home tomorrow, but she's been in Florida all week. Yeah, and like I'm really happy she's having a great time. But the kids are still home with me, and this and that. And she keeps texting pictures, and it's just sunnier and oh, sunnier. Man. <laughs> and last night she complained a little bit. Like, God bless her. But she was like, yeah, I got a little sunburn today. And oh, I almost boy. threw the FaceTime through the window. <laughs> You're like, I haven't even seen the sun I in know. five days. <laughs> what is this sun you speak of? Well, I, I got to give a shout out to my mom. She actually drove in from Detroit. And uh, she's probably maybe listening right now. She's at home uh, helping us care for our kids. And she's driving back tonight. And oh, I gotta cool. be, I'm like feeling some of the, the nervousness. Of her driving in this weather. It's cold and rainy. and I thought you were about to say you're feeling the nervousness of not having more help for a newborn. I am also <laughs> feeling that. That's a really great point. I'm one of seven. My mom is like an expert at caring for babies. And, I do uh, remember when you first had babies. It's like first you're at the hospital where they do everything for you. And then you come home and people are giving you meals and parents are right, coming over. And, right. this, and then all of a sudden everything's done. And you're yeah. like... Here we go. It's pretty terrifying. Lifetime. Especially when your kids are in the NICU, right? Oh, I never had that. They're hooked up to all these machines, and then one day they're just like, okay, you can have them now. And you're like, I don't have any of this machinery at home. Are yeah. you sure I have what it takes to care for this kid? But we're, you know, we're sleep deprived, but we're loving it, and we're doing the best that we can. My wife has been a rock star. She's been doing it's awesome. just an awesome job caring for it's both It's always of them. so impressive to watch the wives. Oh, my god! Like, not just no have kidding. the babies, but care for them and... Uh, you know, I'm all about equality and this and that, but there's something to be to about being mothers that they like just they far outpace us dads. No kidding, <laughs> they're right too. Your heart just seems to expand. Like we've so been wondering, true. like how do you make space in your heart for another kid? And it just it just sort of happens miraculously. It's pretty remarkable. Hey, and you brought up the telephone number. Yeah. I think you and I both desire for people to call us. So that we know people. Just in general? Just in general. (laughs) I don't like when people call me not on the show. But on the show, if there's ever something we talk about that you would love to chime in on, you can interrupt us at any point. We will put you on the air. 
Uh, if you just want to tell Ian that you know you appreciate him, you can put we'll put you on the air. All that kind of stuff. You're starting to sound desperate now, Brian. We, I am, please anybody, call please. me. <laughs> Good point. I'll stop. Well, it sounds like uh, Maya Moore has been in the news, making all kinds of headlines all over the place. And this is this is kind of your wheelhouse. I'd love for you to share a little bit what's going on. There. Women's basketball it is my wheelhouse. I'm just kidding. Uh, Maya Moore is. If you could think about it, if you're not a fan of the WNBA, uh, Maya Moore. Uh, is in many ways she is the like LeBron James of the WNBA. She's okay. the best player. She's won multiple championships. Right. Uh, Maya Moore is also a committed believer, and so I'm interested. She wrote an article on the Players Tribune the other day. This is a website uh, where players of various sports can write directly to fans, so not through reporters. And Maya Moore wrote uh, something, and it's just titled "The Shift," hmm. and it starts this way: "I will not be playing professional basketball this year." Wow. So again, I almost said, imagine Michael Jordan doing this back in the day, but Michael Jordan did do this. That's right. That's right. Um, But think about LeBron James or one of these guys right now being like, I'm taking the year off. And she says there are different ways to measure success. And she says the success I've been put in a part of in basketball truly blows my mind. She's saying, I love basketball, but I measure success by asking, am I living out my purpose? Wow. I learned a long time ago that my purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. I think we said that the other day. Yeah. Uh, and then she says this, my announcement is about how I'm shifting the focus to the whatever in the whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And she says, my focus in 2019 will not be on professional basketball, but will instead be on the people in my family, as well as on investing my time in some ministry dreams that have been stirring in my heart for many years. And she goes on to say, I'm going to miss basketball. Like right. This is not like I'm doing this because I'm burned out or don't, don't like basketball. She just says, I believe God has planted in me some dreams, some ministry dreams. Uh, and, and I'm really interested to know what you think about this, because on the one hand, this is so admirable. Right. And on the other hand, I want to be like, you've got this platform in basketball. That's Keep right. going. And I, and I don't know. I wrestled with this when I read this. Uh, but whatever you think about it, it's really impressive on Maya Moore. It is impressive, and I, I think the tension you lined up is is 100% spot on. on. At one level, super admirable, right? She's taking a step away, and she's not taking a step away as a no-name player. Yep. She's stepping away at, like, the top of her game. I think that's the piece that I find so fascinating. Yes. But as as pastors, you and I are both pastors in Chicagoland, one of the things that I hear almost weekly uh, is people that will say things like, I want to leave my job. Yes. And enter the ministry. I want to leave what I'm doing uh, because I, w- I want to do the work of ministry. And I always mm-hmm. want to say, you can do the work of ministry wherever you're at. Like people yes. often think too that like ministry or mission is something that I have to like add to my life. No, I, I think what it is, it's a reframing of how you see all of life. Because ultimately, what do I want for my neighbors? What do I want for my coworkers? What do I want for my family and friends? Yep. I want them to experience like life and purpose and identity and redemption. And I get to be a part of bringing that wherever I'm at. How, and yes. she, she quotes from Colossians 3 here, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I think that's that's a call to all of us. So I'm not saying that there isn't sometimes uh, a great opportunity to step away from whatever your profession is now to do something different specifically in ministry. But I, I think far more often, though, the invitation that I want to I want to extend to people is, Begin to see all of your life as an opportunity for ministry. Yes. Every interaction, you know, the, the 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 desert fathers and mothers used to say that every table is an altar. Mm. Like every cup of coffee, every meal is this sacred opportunity to bring life and purpose and grace and meaning. And I think 
when we see all of life as that, not just Sunday mornings or yeah. not just at my missionary job, but each of us has an opportunity to be about bringing that wherever we're at. Like that just elevates all of life in yep. a really beautiful, sacred way, I think. Yeah, I want to cheer on Maya more and say, great job. If you feel like God has put some opportunities in front of you that you want to give yourself to, that's awesome. Go for it. Uh, but at our church, we often use this phrase, everyday missionaries, that we want everybody to see themselves as everyday missionaries uh, wherever you live, work, or play. Yeah. And oftentimes in churches, you and I feel this because we said, you know, I'm a pastor at Four Corners Community Church. You're a pastor at the Yellow Box in Naperville. And you feel like people look at you and you're like, um, you, you know, you're the closer or you're, you're the professional. You yeah, come right, in and do right. it. And we want to say, no, that my job as a pastor is to equip you, is to equip you um, to do the work of the ministry. Right. And that's right out of the Bible. Right. And but so oftentimes instead what we do is we hold up these we elevate. So so I want to say my more yes you're doing the work of the ministry keep equipping whether you're a basketball player or not. Uh but for all of us as followers of Jesus you're a missionary. Yeah. And live it out whether you're a plumber, a banker, a teacher, a pastor, a stay-at-home mom, whatever you are, a student, whatever you are, yeah. you're called into your context very specifically to live out the love of Jesus, to advance the kingdom, to help people understand the gospel. That, that'll preach, man. And I think it does change the way that we are a part of church too, right? So if yes. the guy on stage or girl on stage isn't the professional that's here to entertain me, uh, if part of their goal, part of their job description is to equip all of us present to then go live this out, you know, yep. one of the things that we'll say is that uh, the church— um, isn't a cruise liner, it's a battleship. It's in mm. preparation to then go into our neighborhoods to go wherever you're at. Because uh, honestly, quite frankly, I think in a lot of ways, people who aren't uh, in pastoral ministry have more access to people. You yes. know, have you ever had someone kind of completely roll, true. Like, roll their eyes at you when you're on the airplane and they ask what you do and you say pastor? Yes. And that's like the end of the conversation. Yes. I, I think people I have I so a, often try to wait before I tell people what I do. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, I speak. <laughs> I talk to people. <laughs> I, I work in humanities. Because yeah. when we say we're a pastor, it just shuts things down. Yeah. It really does. People apologize to you for what they say and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, to wrap up her story, I, you know, I want to say my more. That's awesome. Yeah. Go and and advance the kingdom. Go use your platform. And if you think there's other things you want to spend your time doing, do it, whatever. But for the rest of us out there, you don't need to quit your job. Right. Go be an everyday missionary wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, in your neighborhoods. You're called. Go to church on Sunday. That's the church gathered. But then we, we scatter into yeah, our right. context and we go and we advance the kingdom. We'll often say that Sunday is the push, not the point. Yep. While I love what we do Sunday morning, and I love singing, and I love teaching and learning, like that, to me, I never knew that I could love doing something as much as I love being a pastor, to yes. be honest. But it isn't ultimately the point that we're equipping people to then go live on mission together, to do it in the context of community, to walk with one another, to link arms together. Like that, to me, is way more compelling a vision than, oh, I attend this address once a week. Absolutely. I go to this event. It's Absolutely. way more about, man— when we gather, we encourage each other. We're speaking life and truth and purpose. And then we go back into the real world and we bring this out. We live this out. And I think, uh, man, what a, what a beautiful call and invitation that we get to be a part of that. Absolutely. Capacity. Everyday missionaries. Well, coming up next, I want to talk a little bit about a story. The headline is this, that almost half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism is straight up wrong. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess, the gray, the tension, the stuff that where we see people often shouting at each other back and forth online. We want to enter into, we want to create space for a dialogue, for a conversation. You can do that a couple of different ways. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can find the podcast. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. A couple minutes ago, you heard Brian uh, pretty much beg people. I begged you to call me. (laughs) That did feel awkward. (laughs) (laughs) You're a words of affirmation guy. Nothing wrong with that. I appreciate you owning that on the air. (laughs) Words of affirmation. It felt like high school again. I was like, please, a girl, call me, please. (laughs) I was homeschooled, so I have no recollection of ever feeling that way. Well, uh, Barna released a study, and if you follow Barna at all, they, they're always, I think, conducting these fascinating studies on things that I didn't even realize I was interested in until I actually read from them. No doubt. And that the headline kind of says it all. It says, almost half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism is wrong, which is crazy because you've mentioned this before. We both uh, grew up Christian Missionary Alliance. Absolutely. And a, and a pretty central component of growing up in that particular dom- denomination was equipping young people to share their faith. In, I, in fact, the fir- one of the first high school conferences I ever went to it was down at the beach, which was the draw. Sure. Um, but it was called Operation Good yes, News. Yes, I'm totally gone. And the first half of Operation Good News in the morning was like to train you. Yeah. And then they dropped you like awkward high school kids onto the beach and said, go oh, like literally, no. it's like cold calling, but in person. And excuse me, can I give you this survey? Where are you going to go if you were to die tonight? All that right. kind of stuff. So all that to say, even though I think that had some issues to it, to to say we're ingrained in this evangelism. Yep, I, and I I remember doing those same. I was never at the beach. It was usually like at a mall because you're in Michigan. That makes that makes sense. <laughs> Again, though, like I appreciated the sentiment. I mm-hmm. think like in helping give students confidence to talk about their faith. But I I do remember the clipboard being terrifying and walking up to strangers and asking them, you know, where where would you go if you died tonight? Yep. And then they'd say something like, do you want to find out where you'd go? And I'm like, okay, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for your time. It's been a lot of fun. But w- walk us through a little bit of what, what Barna's saying about millennials here and their particular perspective about uh, evangelism. Well, it's really fascinating because they found that almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, ranging anywhere across generational gaps from 95 to 97 hmm. percent, and that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus, 94 to 97 percent. So across the board, across the generations, people are saying uh, the best thing that can happen to somebody is to meet Jesus. And part of my role as a believer is to help people come to know Jesus. Hmm. Where it becomes interesting is this question, is it wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith? So Hmm. is it wrong? Uh, So the older generation, 20% said it was wrong. The boomer said 19%. Gen X 27%. 27%. And then for the millennials, it's 47%. No Almost 50% say it's wrong not to, not to uh, force somebody, but just to share a belief that's different. And for me, that is really striking because of, A, how you and I said that we were raised. Hmm. But B, I don't know, in my church, I'm constantly telling people, share your faith, right. talk about your story. Um, and so I found this really, I don't know, I found this surprising, but also... A little bit disturbing, a little a little worrisome. Yeah, one of the things that we talk a lot about at Community are, uh, is an acronym we call the BLESS Practices. I love it. I love and it. And, I, I mean, quickly, I'll walk through them. B is for begin with prayer, like always start with a posture of prayer. L is 
listen. Like, mm-hmm. start first, not cold calling people or walking around with clipboards maybe, but just yes. listening to the people in your life. E is my favorite. You eat. Just share meals with people. Spend time. The uh, first S is serve. Mm-hmm. So before you're ever, like, quote-unquote evangelizing, you're serving them. You're loving them. You're, yes. you're watching their kids. You're helping them clean their gutters. And then that last S is story. It's not until you've done the first ones that you then finally share your story. And, and we found uh, tremendous success in people's receptivity because once you've, like, prayed and listened and shared meals and served them, people are way more open and receptive to, to learning why. Why are you acting like exactly. this toward me when people – typically don't. And I wonder if maybe that's some of what millennials are feeling the tension towards yeah. like this cold call clipboard methodology just, just doesn't, doesn't fit with them. And they're, they're maybe saying they're calling for maybe a, um, a, a reformation of how we approach evangelism. And I would go, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think people need to know that you care before they care what you know, right? Like they need to know that, that you're not, that they're not a project. Right. Right. Uh, my worry is, is that is that in the survey, the millennials, if you will, uh, are not willing to go that last point that says, okay, I won't cold call, cold call people. I won't walk up to them on the beach with a clipboard. Right. Uh, but I'm also just going to trust that just they're going to, I'm going to rub up against them and they're going to just intuitively know what I believe without ever challenging people and saying, hey, let me tell you what right. I believe. Like, I think one of the, I think one of the unhelpful phrases that Christians use a lot is basically, right? Um, Talk about Jesus all the time, and when necessary, use words. Right. I think right. you need to use words. Yeah. And um, that's my worry in this is that because I don't. I also think that the shotgun um, go onto the beach with the clipboard is also bad. Yeah. Or the preaching on the corner. I would never do that. Right. But I think there's a middle ground that also we might have swung the pendulum too far from what I'm reading here. Like, hey, don't ever ruffle anyone's feathers and talk about these types of right. Things. I remember seeing a video years ago from uh, Penn Jillette, you know, Penn, Penn and yes, Teller. Yes, so, yes, yes. So Penn Jillette's a pretty outspoken atheist. And um, it was just sort of like a webcam video in his living room. He was talking about this guy that came up to him after one of his shows and really wanted to gift him a Bible and uh, was telling him about his faith a little bit. And, and Penn was uh, retelling the story really positively. He's like, no, nah, I'm not a Christian. Mm. I think this guy is crazy. But the stuff that he identified, though, he was like, he was respectful he like looked me in the eyes. He was normal. He wasn't crazy. And then he said something I thought pretty profound. He said, um, if you believe that there is a real hell, he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them that mm. that's a re-? He's like, now I don't believe this guy. You know, he's, you know, Penn's still very much an atheist. Yep. Yep. But to, to frame it that way as someone who did not believe with this person's theological conclusions to still say, I felt honored not only that he approached me, but how he approached me. He wasn't fanatical. Uh, he wasn't aggressive, but there was a, a real clear earnestness to him. And I thought that was super compelling to me that a guy who doesn't agree with him identified things like looked me in the eyes. He was yeah. normal. And I think, oh, man, how, how many times have have I failed the normal test yeah. in trying to share my faith? And I think sometimes when the pendulum swings too far the other way in like an effort to be cool or relevant – I don't. I don't ever want to get in anyone else's space ever. Yes. Um, that could sometimes. I think sometimes wisdom can be a cover up for cowardice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm actually just really scared to tell you about this faith of mine. I remember in high school, one of the most convicting things for me. I was like Mr. Youth Group in high school, right? Like I went to right. everything. I'm shocked. And the, yes, thank you. <laughs> and there was a good friend of mine, this girl who was, if I remember right, she was Buddhist, I believe, or something. 
and we were really close and we got talking one night. We've been friends for years. And she said this not as an indictment. She just said it. We were talking about religion. It was the first time we'd ever talked about it. Mm. And I can't oversell that she was one of my best friends. Mm. And after a year, she looked at me and she said, I never knew that you were a Christian. Wow. And I was like, wow, that is. And I just laughed it off. Oh, right, yeah, you know. Right, right, right. But I'm like, my goodness. Like, I am like Mr. Youth Group on this end. And then with my high school friends, she's like, and she wasn't saying that like to convict me. She, she wasn't was being just mean, like, right. She just said, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oof. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, let's talk about it. Like, <laughs> and it was, it, got, it was awkward. And I remember being really convicted about that because here I'm going to, you know, the Jersey Shore and asking people on a questionnaire, do you know? But my best friends yeah, were like, right. oh, you believe that? I never right. knew that about you. And, yeah, I remember the question that we were asked a lot in the youth group was, if Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yes. Right? Not I just hated you. that question. I did too. But you and I practically went to the same church. <laughs> we really kind of did. And as much as that question really kind of rattled me, I think it ask, it is a pretty uh, yeah. useful question, at least at some level. Not as shaming at all, but to ask, man, how, how much of my life really does look like Jesus? How much are people really truly compelled, not by the words that I preach, but the life that I live, Absolutely. to want to know more about the reason that I live the way that I do, man? I think that that's super convicting. Well, coming up next, we're going to interview Drew Dick, who's an editor at Moody Publishers and the former managing editor of Leadership Journal. I think it's going to be an absolutely fascinating conversation mm-hmm. together. I hope that you'll join us uh, here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Next, on The Common Good, we're going to interview Drew Dick, who wrote a book called Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation together. And AM1160 has an exclusive offer just for you. You can visit 1160hope.com slash angels now for two free audio downloads from Jack Graham and PowerPoint Ministries. So that's 1160hope.com slash angels. that this music causes Brian to dance every single every time. time. Without fail. Welcome to The Common Good Friends. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the gray, diving into the mess, but also the stuff that we share in common, the struggles and hopes and dreams that a lot of us, whether we've articulated them or not, we share them in common, and we want to create space to have that conversation. There's a couple of, couple of ways you can join that conversation. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com or you can call us 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. And we have a very special guest. His name is Drew Dick. He's an editor at Moody Publishers and the former managing editor of Leadership Journal. His work has been featured in USA Today, The Huffington Post, Christianity Today, and CNN.com. Drew is also the author of Generation X Christian and Yawning at Tigers. He lives with his wife, Grace, and their three children near Portland, Oregon. Drew, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited about it. It's, our, it's our pleasure. I hear that you also have a newborn. Is that right? I do. I hear I'm in good company. I have a daughter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so this particular story is brought to you by caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day that I looked a little tired. 
And I'm like, yeah, that, that's why I used to look like Brad Pitt before the kids <laughs> Don't you love when people just offer that up? Like, hey, wow, you look terrible. You're like, thanks. Thanks so much. It's so funny. I, I, is that supposed to be encouraging? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I, I'm, en- I'm enjoying just sitting back listening to two newborn dads here. This is good stuff. <laughs> But Drew, the, the yes, t- we can commiserate. Yes, <laughs> the title of your your new book is fascinating. It's your future self will thank you: secrets to self control from the Bible and brain science. And I, I would love to know just right off the bat, why why did you decide to write this book? Yeah, good question. I I wish I could say it was just out of pure academic interest, but <laughs> um, actually, it was because you know just year after year looking at my life and realizing that I, I was deficient in this area of self control. Um, and sometimes that can just be like, oh man, I eat too much of this, or uh, I haven't been exercising enough. And then of course it affects though your spiritual life too. You know, one thing I've been trying to do forever, it seems, is just start every day reading scripture and Mm -hmm. start, start the day by praying to God. You know, you'd think that would be relatively easy. And yet just the frustration in, in finding a gap between, uh, my beliefs and behavior, (laughs) I guess you could say led me to start researching. Initially, I wasn't even writing a book. I was just kind of like, hey, how can I, how can I shore up my, my weakness here? And then it morphed into a book project, and I'm just hoping it helps other people as much as it's helped me. Well, one of the fascinating things you said, Drew, in this book is that you painted a picture of self-control, not as restricting, which most of us think of it as, right? <laughs> it's like a restricting thing, but rather you paint uh, self-control to be liberating. Uh, yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Yeah. Like when I've mentioned this topic to most people, you kind of hear sighs and groans and most people realize, okay, I I need this. I need to be better about this. But you're right. It's this kind of uh, perception that it's a confining, boring topic or, you know, even that it's kind of this repressive Victorian sort of finger wagging (laughs) uh, virtue. Uh, Right. And yet I think that's the caricature because like when you look in scripture uh, and the way scripture talks about uh, a life discipline and self-control, it's what ultimately enables us to live a life of freedom mm. uh, and allows us to flourish and to develop other virtues mm. that are impossible without self-control. And so I think ultimately it's a really exciting thing um, that that if you can, you know, exercise a little discipline, exert a little um, willpower today, your life will get better and better and you'll do a better job, too, of of loving God and loving others. That's brilliant. So we're talking to Drew Dick, the author of uh, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. You can visit drewdick.com. That's D-R-E-W-D-Y-C-K.com or uh, Drew Dick on Twitter. Um, I'm curious why you think and see this linkage between uh, spirituality and science. Why why is it important to understand um, both sides of that coin as it pertains to self-control? Yeah, well, I just think that, you know, um, the maxim comes to mind, all truth is God's truth, right? So if we discover something about our psychology or the way our our habits work and willpower, um, and and we can use that, that's great. Uh, One thing that I I found repeatedly is just the the ways in which the research on this topic complement Scripture, really. I mean, Hmm. one of the big findings on this topic, going back about 20 years, researchers found that willpower is a finite resource. Oh, wow. In other words, it, it runs out. It, it gets exhausted and rather quickly. We tend to think that we can just kind of hold out against temptation or keep, you know, um, keep doing
doing something difficult indefinitely, but it doesn't work like that. And when I saw that, I was like, well, okay, as a Christian, I'm not too surprised because we're taught in Scripture that we're fallible, finite creatures, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, we're taught to flee temptation rather than stand and fight it. So all just wise stuff when you, when you consider that your willpower ultimately runs out, and so you want to be very strategic in how you use it. Right. Uh, you want to preserve it, and ultimately you want to grow it. So another interesting spot that you, you discuss about self-control is that you, you talk about what you've learned from addicts. And usually uh, addicts are thought of as not having any self-control. So what have addicts taught you about self-control? Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, addicts are people uh, for whom, by definition, really, they, their self-control has been wiped out. Correct, yeah. And um, getting it back is a matter of life and death. And so looking at some of the recovery programs is really enlightening. Of course, the big one is Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And just looking at that with fresh eyes and going, you know, what can we learn from people who who are, you know, totally helpless against an addiction and yet manage to find freedom from it? And the first thing, of course, if you're familiar with the, the 12 steps, is admitting your complete and utter helplessness against an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because you might think it would be the opposite. Oh, I should say I'm, like, immensely powerful and super confident and I can totally you know, kick this habit, but they do just the opposite. And I think that's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Christians too, we go, you know, we understand that confession, you know, admitting your dependence on God, of course, which is another step in the process, yeah. you know, reliance upon a higher power. And then the third thing um, for them is seeking out a community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't do this kind of stuff alone. And that's counterintuitive. I know when it comes to self-control, because you think of it, oh, it's about the self, it's about me. But the truth is, if you don't, if you're looking to reform a certain behavior you have in your life or start a new difficult behavior, you need to seek out a community of like-minded people that can keep you accountable and encourage you and inspire you. Yeah. I talked to one alcoholic. I was just amazed by he's 20 years sober, and yet every week he's, he's dragging out a, a metal chair in a dingy basement and saying, mm. hi, I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic, right? Because they get that you're never over it, and you need that community. Right. You really do. Man, that's so good. One of the things that I'm always fascinated by is the is the power of habit and how the habits that we form, whether consciously or subconsciously, are the, are the things that form us. In like just 30 seconds or less, could you talk to us just a little bit about the significance of uh, developing um, thoughtful habits in our life and maybe some of your self-controlled training and how we actually do that well? Yeah, and it, that's a huge part of this topic, right? Because we like to think that we're going throughout our days and we're making these conscious decisions about every action we take. That's an illusion. Most of what we do is just habit, unconscious patterns in our life, right? And so we default to those. Hmm. And that can be a good thing or it can be a really bad thing. Um, hmm. And so paying more attention to those habits um, is really important. And I get into it. I won't get into all the details. But, um, you know, looking at the three parts of a the habit, there's a cue and a routine and a reward. And looking at that very carefully and going, can I use the same cue that makes me do this bad habit and actually replace it with a good habit? So one practical thing really quick that I did, every morning I roll out of bed and my habit is check social media. Grab Mm -hmm. my phone off my nightstand, check social media, right? And I was just like conditioned to do that. And I'd say, no, tomorrow I'm going to wake up, read my Bible, wouldn't do it. Finally, I just had to get rid of the phone uh, out of the room put a big black Bible on the nightstand. That's good. And it was amazing how easily I was able to replace that habit. Man, that's good stuff. I just want to encourage people. Drew, I don't think you know this. I actually follow you on Twitter, and you're a fascinating follow. And today, even like an hour ago, oh. uh, Ian, you'll appreciate this, an hour ago, uh, Drew wrote that he has a jagged tool of sanctification in his life called his cat. Ooh, that's good. I think there's a book there, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> 
what, what my what my cat taught me about God. There you go. I'd read, I'd read that book. <laughs> but Drew, thank, thanks so much. Wipe, I'll whiteboard that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> thanks and so I'll much keep, for joining I'll give us, you guys Drew. The credit. Thank you. Hey, yeah, please so do. It's been fun. You can find Drew at DrewDick.com or at Twitter. Uh, Twitter.com slash Drew Dick. Uh, thank you so much for taking the thank time you, to Drew. share a little bit of your heart. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about how do we live out this thing called faith in the ordinary common space that most of us live. That's coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, friends. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The Common Good, a show all about diving into the stuff that we share in common, the mess, the gray, the stuff that doesn't have an easy bow on top, but also hopefully bringing some good into the world, uh, engaging in some questions, creating some space for dialogue, which we'd love to hear from you. You can do that a couple of ways. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Two five nine four. If ever there's a topic that kind of piques your interest, we would love to hear from you and uh, engage in that a little more fully. But as we often say, <laughs> we're more interested typically in engaging in the dialogue and not just prescribing easy answers Correct. because uh, very rarely is there such a thing. Mm-hmm. And there's this uh, this particular guest post from uh, Scott Sauls on uh, Ann Voskamp's blog um, that just begins this way. Seriously, what if we began again? And the whole post is kind of about... I love this post. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's about like living the way the early church did when there wasn't stages and fog machines and lights and websites. None of those things are bad, but about just loving the people nearest to us in like really ordinary, common, mundane ways. And I think what what a call this has been to, to not stop dreaming big, obviously, but to see with new eyes, like what are the really like easily overlooked ways right under my nose to love the people around me. Yeah, and it goes away from even from churches, but he says things like, what if Christians, rather than buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know, instead began to deploy money as well as time, energy, and mind share that we do have on things God has determined. He just keeps going. What if, and I think what this is really getting at is, what if we started... What if we went back to how the church was in the beginning? What if we went back to the mission of the beginning? And you and I talked the other day about the danger of linking to the early church because it's a whole different context. But but kind of getting to the heart of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving the Lord with everything you, that you have and, and unpacking it from Christianity, from, you know, from Americanism yeah. or whatever. And right. all of this, I finished reading this post and I was like, yes, totally. let's do it. Let's do it. It really got me going. Well, it says to consider Jesus and the disciples. They gained favor and influence by living among their neighbors and colleagues, including those who were poor and marginalized and forgotten, not as some power driven or partisan moral majority but as an intentional, creative, love-driven, life-giving minority, mm. uh, which uh, we know throughout history, much to the chagrin of the people in power, um, they were not a fan. They were really, really uh, upset at these Christians, but impressed, though. I think Julian the Apostate is one that comes to mind that um, bemoaned in a letter to a friend that he could not defeat Christianity because the people of Jesus tended to love Rome's poor better than Rome did. So this is a guy who was not a fan of Christianity and even still had to— st- I mean, he was trying to exterminate Christianity. Yeah, like this is beyond—and I don't mean to make light of it, but I'm going to. This is beyond about, like, baking cakes and this and that. This is sure. like they're feeding Christians to lions and burning them on stake, saying we are going to get rid of these people. Right, right, right. 
and saying really ultimately they're they're doing a better job of loving our people than we are mm-hmm. like that that was their main vehicle by which the gospel was proclaimed and I, and again I'm not knocking obviously stages and websites and yep. lights I think those things can be really really helpful but this whole story is kind of dead set on what what if we got back to like the patient like that's the thing that I really find fascinating about love is that it's mm-hmm. not efficient like mm-hmm. love often when it's lived out doesn't fit with our schedules or our calendars. Like yeah. it, it is, it is uh, inconvenient at times, but there's people right at our doorstep, right under our noses that I believe God has called us to live and care for. Um, and not just as it's convenient for us, but in like radically generous ways. And we see that as like a hallmark of the early church. I want to, I'd, I'd love for us to start to get back to some of that. Yeah. And we, for good reason, we try to think creatively, right, about how can we reach our culture? How can we reach the community? And those are such important conversations. Like, yeah. this isn't like, oh, quit trying, right? Yeah. But really, it's the age-old, like, love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Uh, be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And that's what he does over and over again. I really encourage you to go to anvoskamp.com and find this post. Uh, because he just says, like, what if, as an answer to the loneliness felt by uncoupled men and women, both inside and outside the church, Christians became known for nurturing communities uh, in which every person is given the full experience of family. Right. Like, I long for that. Like, that's what I want in my church. That's what I want in my small group. That's what I want in everything. And over and over again, he just keeps peeling it away and saying, what if we lived like the church did and Christians did at the beginning when they were closest to Jesus? And I think he's just holding out there. What would the result in our world yeah, be? Right. What would the result be in our communities? What would the result be in our families? I, when I always find that fascinating, too, when Jesus talks about being salt and light, right? Like, we know what light does. It illuminates darkness. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I wonder, like, are we willing to go to dark places? I yeah. think the gospel is good news, but news is really only good if it invades bad spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are we willing to actually go to those places rather than simply waiting for people to attend our services? I think about salt, even, like— one of the things that salt did and does is it creates thirst. And I want to ask, man, what kind of what kind of thirst is my life creating in the lives of other people? Like, a- am I actually being a part of stirring something, even if I'm not straight up evangelizing yes. them or walking around with a clipboard? Yeah. Is my life living in the kind of way that people are like, I don't know what you're all about, <laughs> but I- I'd love to be a part of that. And one of the things that we talk about at Community is we want to be the kind of church that even for the people in our neighborhood that don't, quote unquote, attend our services— if we were ever threatened to have to leave, that they would be the ones that would rise up and say, no, no, we need them in our neighborhood. Yes. Like, they make our community better, even though I don't agree with them on the whole Jesus thing. Yeah. Like, we want them here. And churches so much become about what are we against. It's all like right, we're going to be right. in our, like, bubbles, and we're going to rage against what we're against. And I think what Saul's is saying here, let's be what we're for, right? The, yeah, we've right. Got, if it really is good news, let's live out the good news. Let's share the good news. Let's proclaim the good news. Let's live it out and embody it. Yeah. And I think we're going to be shocked that people who feel the darkness are going to be drawn to the light. People are they're going to be drawn to the salt, whatever other yeah, metaphor right. you want to use. And I think that, I think we all want that, right? Like I'm bouncing in my chair right now talking about this because this is what I want for my church, totally. your church, the totally. churches all over here. People like this is really what Christianity is supposed to be, and I think we all long for it. Totally. I, I think too, like Christianity starts with receiving grace. Yeah. But maturity means becoming responsible for sharing it. Mm. At some point, it has to move from simply, oh, I'm so grateful for what Jesus did for me and has done in me. Jesus 
wants to not only do something in you, yes. he wants to also do something through you and to have the confidence to say, okay, God, now, now that I've recognized the grace and mercy and love that you've done, you've done that in me, how, how can I now be responsible? G- give me courage to live out the mobility to not just um, you know, take up my cross and learn about him, but to actually follow him, to, to live that yes. out in every space of every day. And I think, man, it's beautiful. That what an invitation that's extended to all of us, not just the professional Christians, to live that out, to walk that out each and every day. But coming up next, we're going to talk about the Anglican Church and what they say is a total lack of confidence in their ability to actually speak about their faith. That's coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show about diving into the gray, the mess, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, and we would love to engage with you on this cold and dreary Thursday. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com, or you could call 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. you said engaging the gray, and I was immediately looking outside. Like, now it's starting <laughs> yeah. to get dark. Yeah. And uh, the beauty of technology, I said my wife's in Florida. She texted me from Florida. I'm guessing she's probably, like, poolside or something. Right. It's like 80, and I'm looking outside, and I'm like, I really love my wife, and I'm really upset, <laughs> right? I'm not in Florida right now. <laughs> Have you prepared her? Because she's coming back tomorrow, right? She is coming back tomorrow. Is she going to be uh, prepared to engage with whatever this muck is? I don't know if the weather is the issue or engaging with me and the kid, which one it's going to be. But <laughs> I'll plead the fifth on that there one. There you go. <laughs> so I was reading about this story, and uh, I just I find it so fascinating. This kind of ties back to a couple of things that we were talking about. The headline reads, Anglican churchgoers have, quote, total lack of confidence in speaking about their faith. Mm. The report from the Church's Evangelism Task Group and Evangelism and Discipleship Team highlights research showing that while 70% of churchgoers could think of someone they could invite to church, between 85 and 90% of these said they had no intentions of doing so. And the problem was not the worshiper's local church. The main issue the research highlights was a total lack of confidence in talking about faith at all with anyone. Interesting. I find that fascinating. I've, and I can certainly commiserate with it. I've felt that way myself. But it's it's listing this as, a, as one of the, the key reasons why... Uh, the church is seeing such a steady decline. And I find that not only interesting that that's true, but that people would be that honest about it. Yeah. Maybe that's a European thing, but like the fact that that many people would outright admit, yeah, I have no confidence at all in sharing my faith whatsoever. It's uh, it is really surprising because like you said, we often think the issues are like church is boring or yeah, right. get people, you know, if we can entertain them more, we can do this. And and the people are saying, no, it's it's such put in, in such an interesting way to a total lack of confidence in talking about faith at all with anyone. Period. Right. And I, I get that. Now you and I, by profession, we talk about our faith, but in day to day conversations with people, it is uncomfortable. And I don't know why that is. 
Is this, do you think this is an issue of not knowing how to answer questions and speak about faith? Or is it, you know, you should never talk about faith or politics at the dinner table, right? right? Like, I don't know which one this is. There's something about an uncomfortability and an inability to speak about the things of God and the things of faith. Yeah, I think it's probably a myriad of things. But if I, like, if I could just confess something, if that's all right. I remember, um, you know, my last, my last church, uh, Pastor Daryl, who has been, walking with the Lord like his whole life. Yeah. He's been a pastor for 60-plus years, just in so many ways, a really powerful example of long obedience in the same direction. Yes. He and I, we would get breakfast pretty regularly, and without fail, every single time, he would ask the waiter or waitress, uh, what can I pray for you about? Mm. And I'm embarrassed to admit this. My job, my vocation was a pastor, and for the first couple of times— even just being at the same table when he asked that question was uncomfortable. Can I amen that? I've gone to lunch with Have multiple you? people who've done that, and it, I'm like, cringe. Like, ah. But can I tell you what? No yeah. one's ever turned him down. I, Not I once. believe you. I and believe you. I, and, I'm, and I'm sure this hasn't been the case for all of them, but yeah. I guarantee you that was a really powerful moment for a lot of them. And his confidence to just say, I'm not, he didn't, uh, you know, whip out a business card. He wasn't inviting them to any specific event. He was saying, hey, could, could I just pray for you? And I was so convicted by, why is it, I'm a pastor, why is that yeah. uncomfortable? And if that's true for us as, you know, quote-unquote professional Christians, how much more so must that be for people who are like, I don't, I don't want to make things weird, I don't want to, I think a lot of times we just kind of want to blend in, right? Yes. So this idea of evangelizing, this idea of sharing our faith is in a lot of ways, it's a way of like turning a beacon on ourselves, and I feel like the vast majority of us just aren't interested in that, and I wonder if that's maybe part of the impetus for why so many people... Uh, are disinterested in doing so. Yeah, I think it's a both. I think it's both of these. I think people are not confident to talk about uh, their faith because of what the reaction will be, kind of what you're saying. Yeah. And because they're not confident that they know a lot about their faith. And that becomes a discipleship issue within the church. Like, this is damning to the church of going, you know, why are there people being raised, you know, who don't not just have the confidence, but don't feel like they have the ability to speak God. (laughs) They don't have the ability to speak theologically. They don't have the ability or the confidence. There's something missing here. There's a piece in here that I'm not quite sure I could put my finger on, because this is the Anglican Church in America, pretty confident it's also the Evangelical Church. This is the Anglican Church in in England. Pretty sure this is also the Evangelical Church in America. Well, and I think, too, you touched on something that maybe maybe is worth us mentioning. I think it's way less, too, about having— all the right theological answers, yeah. and way more about just sharing what God has done in your life. I think yes. I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with a lot of what we call kind of modern apologetics that are often kind of framed on like helping us argue our faith well, which is not always, I think, uh, helpful to, you know, to debate the, the finer points of doctrine. Yep. Obviously, we need to be educated at some level about those things, but I find, by and large, people are way more compelled by just an honest sharing of, man, this faith and community in Jesus has been really powerful in my life, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Would yeah. you be interested in joining me next Sunday? Like, you don't have to know about variegated nomism or any sorts of <laughs> finding. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't require a seminary degree to just say, man, this has made a big difference, and I don't have all the answers, and I still screw up from time to time, but this decision has been so pivotal for me, and I care about you just as a person. Would you be in any way interested in just checking it out once. You're not asking anyone to sign their name in blood or anything or to, you know, abandon whatever their particular trajectory is then. You're just saying, man, I care about you. This thing's been impactful for me. Would you be a part of that with me? I just think that would change the landscape of the way that we talk to one another about our faith and about our church communities. And if I'm, if I'm a, you know, an average atheist in some neighborhood, 
at the very least, I'm intrigued. Like, yeah. wow, you took the time. I know that took courage to actually, you know, rap on my door, bring that up in conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come once. Why not? Uh, your church and my church are both doing Explore God Chicago right now. Yeah. And it's been really fascinating and a really cool thing. And one thing that pertains to this conversation that has struck me about Explore God is that if you're not familiar with it, 900-plus churches in the Chicagoland area are doing the same seven weeks having discussion groups, but also the same sermon series. And it's just seven basic questions about the faith, right? The, yeah. the, the problem of pain and suffering. Uh, the, is Christianity too narrow was last week? Those types of things. Yeah. And it's been great to watch people from outside the church wrestle with these, but it's been fascinating to watch people inside the church yeah, wrestle totally. with these. And it kind of gets at, I don't think most people in our church felt like they had the ability to answer these questions. Hmm. And that, so therefore, they're afraid that their friends are going to ask them these questions. Right, right. Like, man, Christianity does seem really narrow and exclusive. Uh, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> right. Man, there seems like a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And where does God, what does God have to do with that? Like, right. uh, I don't know how to answer that. And so we shut down. Yeah. We don't. And so I think this, again— is on churches to say, we've got to equip and grow our people to be also be able, we need to try to spur them to have these conversations, right. but we also need to equip them to have the conversations once they take that step of boldness, yeah. rather than just entertain them and do this and that and totally. send them out. I think we also need to give people permission to say, I don't know. Oh, absolutely. That Like the mentors in my life that I've most respected over the years are the ones that when I ask them a tough question, they say, hey, you know what, I don't know. Yes. I'm going to go back and research. I'm going to try and find an answer. But right now, I just, like I always found that so honorable, like yes. so intriguing just to say, like, and may, maybe if you're hearing this, maybe that's an encouragement for you, like the confidence just to say, I don't have uh, any idea what questions you have, but I know that this faith thing has really been meaningful for me. Yeah. And let's say they ask you a question that stumps you. There's no shame whatsoever in saying, you know what, I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit. I'm going to ask my pastor, would you give me a week to come back yeah. to you? Like that, that to me shows such an honesty that it's not it's not about making some pitch it's it's not about tricking you to come to some event yep. it's simply sharing man this has had a big impact in my life and i would just love for you to be a part of that in some way i think that to me is such a, a an intriguing and helpful invitation when it comes to talking to our churches and the freedom giving people the freedom not just to say i don't know but giving the people asking the questions the freedom to ask any question they want yes right uh, like i remember when we first started the church um <laughs> there's a real fast story. My wife began a relationship with uh, a, a lady who was coming named Janet, and she asked the most crazy questions. Yeah. And she came to faith. She's now on staff at our church. That's awesome. And like it's just this growth, but it started with some of the most insane questions you've ever heard. That's so good. I told Janet sometimes she could come on and we can have this conversation on the I air. I would but, love that. But now to see that growth, and a lot of times she'd ask Carrie questions and Carrie would be like, I have no idea even <laughs> where that question came from. But giving people the ability to not have to have all the answers, but also the, the freedom to ask any question they want. Totally. That's good to keep out in front, man. Well, coming up next, a hotel in Sweden will let you stay in one of its rooms for free if you can actually put your phone down. That's coming up next on The Common Good right here at AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm show about diving into the mess and the gray, which today is a perfect day <laughs> yes. to be diving into the gray. Welcome to winter. Yeah, no kidding. It's not even winter, though. It's like a weird, slushy, terrible, rainy, yes, awful. Yes. I don't I don't even know what's going on. I feel like Chicago weather, you need to get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> we call that April. <laughs> that what, yeah, right, no kidding. 
You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. You can call us at 312-660-2594. And a story I want to talk about, I just found this absolutely fascinating for a number of different reasons. The headline reads this, a hotel in Sweden will let you stay in one of its rooms for free if you can put your phone, your phone down. It starts by saying, how would you like to get a free hotel room? We'd, we'd all love a free hotel room, right? Mm-hmm. Well, of course uh, you would, but there's a catch. You can't brag about it on social media. In fact, it goes on to say that it measures your social media activity. It's crazy. And the more that you use it, the more that the room costs. The guests have to connect their phone uh, to a smart lamp, which measures how much you pay for the room based on how much time you spend on social media. Uh, using the room's Wi-Fi, and the lamp glows white as it measures up to 30 minutes of the recommended time people should be on their phones. Uh, and basically, if it goes to red, it means you pay full price for the room. <laughs> and if you don't use your phone at all, the room is totally free. Fascinating. I would love to see a statistical breakdown of how much people, how many people still end up paying the whole thing. I was going to say, is it, is it crazy that I can't conceive – of anyone still paying full price when given the option to get a room for free, like maybe that just makes me a cheap state, a cheap skate. But like yeah. that just seems insane to me that like anyone given that option would be so drawn, to, so obsessed with posting or sharing or whatever. And I'm not. I mean, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite here. Like that, <laughs> I, I totally overshare. I'm sure, but like when given the option of something free, I'm like yeah, done. Piece of piece of cake. Is it really that hard? Do you think? I don't know, man. Like, I can't, I reach for my phone. Like, I've reached for my phone as we're talking here. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Like, I reach for my phone here. So it is, it is something. Like, have you seen one of the, one of the things people do now at dinner parties? Like, if you're out at dinner, let's say there's eight of you around a table at a restaurant. Yeah. uh, A new thing is to stack your phones in the middle so nobody will do them. And the first person to check their phone has to pay for the bill. I've seen that. I also saw I saw a, uh, a restaurant where they had pint glasses with the the bottom was cut out a little bit um, and like the perfect size of a cell phone. So if you wanted to actually set your glass down, <laughs> you had to slide a phone under it to keep it from tipping over, which is maybe not maybe that's not a great device to uh, a great way to get people to not check their phones. I just think that's really like according to the hotel's design, uh, the number of social media users worldwide in 2018 reached 3.196 billion up by 13% from the year before so more than 3 billion with a b people yeah. on planet earth uh, engage in social media of some kind on a regular basis is that does that number surprise you not at all really no cuz i think the technology is spreading even in the poorer regions and uh, it's becoming cheaper and we all know how much we're on it it's crazy like how how long do you think if it was incentivized for you how long could you stay off the internet and off your phone, do you think? Oh, I, it depends on the incentive, I guess. Uh, $100 a week. $100 a week? I'd delete everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could do it. Yes, you could. You totally could. Why? Maybe. Why do you think that? I'm curious on the why. Why, why don't you think I you think could? I think I'm conditioned. I, I'm more conditioned to like check my email at all times and texts. And Yeah, but conditioning by its very definition, you can be conditioned elsewhere. You can be conditioned in a different direction, don't you think? If, well, I, and it's, it just sounds silly to say because a couple of years ago I didn't have text messaging. When right. I first started as a pastor, my only, only ability to check email was on my computer. Right, totally. So I wasn't able to connect, but I maybe maybe I could be un- disconnected. Disconditioned, unconditioned, <laughs> whatever word is. Uh, remove the English. condition. I have told you when I was on sabbatical this summer, I got off Facebook for the whole summer. Right, and I did not miss it for a second. Did it surprise you though that you didn't miss it? No, 
Uh, I actually thought what I thought I would miss. You and I have talked about this. Yeah. What I thought I would miss is when we went on our long vacation. We went on a three-week driving trip. Like, mm. as your kids get older, by the way, parenthetically, let me, um, let me encourage you to do long driving trips. Like yeah. My kids do better in the car, and they love it, and it's all this. So we did a three-week driving trip out to the East Coast, down the East Coast, and back. Uh, and I thought the thing I thought I would miss most is posting all the pictures of vacation along the way, right, and getting all the responses. Oh, that was part of it. Awesome trip. Liked it. All this. Dad of the year. Care. Way to go. But I didn't care at all. Once we were like in the trip, I was good. Did you post good. any of those pictures after you got I back? I did not. You really didn't? I did not. That's fascinating no. to me. Because I think you're right. I think it isn't just the sharing. It's the affirmation of the sharing, right? It's We've talked about that little like red notification has been specifically designed to create certain responses in our mm-hmm. brains. Like the way that these apps are designed, they're designed to mimic slot machines and create sort of a an addictive response. The thing that does creep me out a little bit isn't that we're just sort of passively addicted to these things is that they're being engineered to be addictive. Mm. That's where like the punk rock in me starts to fire up a little bit. Like, <laughs> Oh, if you're designing stuff to addict me, like now I all the more want to get rid of it. Now, yeah. to be fair, I haven't like <laughs> my, my wife just yesterday was proposing. She's like, why don't we do Facebook free Fridays where we just don't use Facebook you're like, get Friday. behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, no, I was like, let's do it. I'm totally on board. I, yeah. think, I think that's a great idea to build in rhythms where it has less to do with sort of my, my own personal willpower and more, yeah, this is a decision that my family has made together that while we don't think Facebook is evil by any stretch, we're going to decide to put it, put it aside um, in order to focus more intently on family time, much like you did with your family trip. Yep. I think that's a really important way to go about it. What do you think the angle of this hotel is? Like what is the fact this, that we're reading it on the air right you think now? That is, you think this totally. is just a great marketing ploy in which if they give away a couple free rooms, it's instead going to get a lot of people there. It's going to get their name out there. They're going to go business. Well, they, they like do that's mention, the cynic in me. Like, what's what's their angle? I here? mean, they do mention that their their motive is to create space for people to actually engage with one another again. Which yeah. I'm I'm cynical too. At the end of the day, they're trying to make money. But I know of coffee shops that have done this. I know of bars that have done this. Like, I think that there there is like a growing dissatisfaction with how obsessively we're looking at this device all the time. In fact, my, my brother's a chiropractor and he says how much we look down at our phones is going to become one of the chief things that he's correcting as a chiropractor. Like that's doing so much damage really? to our necks. He's like, that's going to put my kids through college. Like that is <laughs> tech neck like, or tech, tech neck. Or, or text necks. That, that's, that is creating such an issue because our, our skulls are so heavy that so many people are doing it so often without thinking about it. It's literally creating like a medical pandemic, and that that is as a chiropractor, like he's he says he's he, he's predicting he's going to see more and more of those cases every single year. What well, is what worries me going forward about my own children is that uh, you know they are they like to be on their phone, and they're not even at the age my daughter is at the age where she can text friends and stuff like that. But my other ones are just playing games on their phone. Yeah, uh, and they're already multitasking. They're already doing this and that. But the amount of where even at that age, it's just a. Uh, intrinsic in them to just grab the phone is pretty, uh, yeah, they're going to get text neck. Is that what you called it? I think that might be totally wrong, but we've, (laughs) I mean, I've shared with you, my, my 15 month old, uh, is already picking up on like how much attention mom and dad give to this thing. And he, half the time he's like, I don't even really know what it is, but if you're going to look at it all day long, I want to look at it too. And that's super convicting to me. Well, soon that thing's going to become a good babysitter for you. That's where it gets really hard. Is that that parenting advice from Brian Fromm? It's real hard, man. (laughs) More times than I care to share. When Madeline was like three, it'd be like, all right, time to watch Elmo. (laughs)
<laughs> I would watch Elmo over Wiggles oh, any yes. day of the week. Go I Elmo. can't. If anyone has suggestions for things that I can play for my son besides the Wiggles, yes. please, please let me know because I'm I'm waking up with their songs in my head now. And it's driving me absolutely batty. Avoid Caillou. You don't probably know what that is right now, but you're going to. (laughs) You're going to thank me later for my words of avoid (laughs) Caillou. Okay? Well, either way, being mindful of how much attention we give to social media and these devices, I think, is something uh, worth giving our attention to. Being mindful of the stuff that we're doing intentionally versus passively Mm -hmm. and learning to be more present with the people around us, I think, is always just an important call. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we have an interview with Whitman Brisky, a partner at Malkin Baker, which focuses primarily on legal work for businesses and professionals in business and commercial law. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to talk to Whitman Brisky, a partner at Malkin Baker, as we talk about the church uh, from the side of a lawyer, a, a legal team that helps churches. So that's Whitman Brisky coming up after the break. But first, there isn't a better word than free. For a limited time, 1160hope.com slash angels is your chance to grab two exclusive gifts from PowerPoint Ministries. These invaluable resources will help you separate biblical truth from cultural noise about angels, God's heavenly warriors. Get your downloads now at 1160hope.com slash angels. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the tension and we know that in an age where a lot of people seem divided and uh, caught in kind of our echo chambers and confirmation bias we want to create a space for conversation for dialogue you can do that a couple of different ways you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show that's the common good radio show you can also go to 1160hope.com all the previous shows are there they're also podcasted plus you can call us at 312 660 2594. That's 312-660-2594. And we have a very special guest. His name is Whitman Brisky. He's a partner at Malkin Baker, which focuses primarily on legal work for businesses and professionals in business and commercial law. Now, listen to what his work includes. This list is incredible. His work includes forming corporations, contracts, financing, employee issues, trademarks and copyrights, commercial litigation, business bankruptcy, real estate, and corporate transactions. Take a breath. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. He's a member of the Chicago Bar Association, Crystal Legal Society, and the Commercial Law League of America, and is an Alliance Defending Freedom ally. Whitman, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, your asking me. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks for for coming on. You you sent us this story from uh, ChristianPost.com, and the title is pretty intriguing. It's called... Uh, it says, "Beware of wolves in shepherd's clothing." Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what the story is, is telling? Well, of course, the the shepherd is the pastor of a church, and it's really a warning uh, from experiences that I've had in in actually litigating these cases uh, in in the courts, where a pastor will come in and either intentionally, uh, maybe in a couple of cases. 
but more often just through being a bad pastor, drives the congregation away, and you're left with the pastor, a few uh, of his friends and family, and then uh, the building is sold, and he pockets the money. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, we've had, unfortunately, too many situations like that. In, uh, you know, in a denomination where there is a hierarchical structure, that doesn't happen because, you know, you have the hierarchy to make sure uh, that, that this doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But especially with independent-type churches, uh, it happens way too often. Yeah, and so we're both part of independent churches, so I'm curious, you said there are ways for churches to protect themselves. What are some of the specific ways if uh, that a church could protect itself just to make sure this doesn't happen to them and their finances? Well, uh, there are a few ways, and the, and the most important way is really to make sure that you have a strong lay leadership to go along with the pastor. Yeah. And I guess both of you would agree with that from mission purposes as Absolutely. well as right. for legal purposes. And uh, so if you've got a strong lay leadership, it's harder to do that. And you want to make sure that, although the board should not be hostile to the pastor, obviously, right. that it's not packed with you know friends and family so that there's no check on the pastor. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I, I want to ask like a philosophical question if that's okay. What, why do you think this is so prevalent? Like I was reading the story, and I got to be honest, I was kind of baffled that it was yeah. this common warranting an actual. Why, why do you think this keeps happening? Like what's going on that is is creating situations where this keeps happening? Well, it's it's partly a theological issue. Uh, you know, even. You know, even if you're a strong lay leader, there is a certain respect and deference to the pastor. Yeah. And particularly where you've got a relatively small congregation and a congregation without, uh, let's say, the high-powered doctors, lawyers, professors that you may find in other congregations, they sort of defer to the pastor, and the pastor kind of runs it as a one-man show. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is the danger and where you get into this. So we talked about all the things that you're doing for churches, and um, I'm curious, just branching out from this, what are some of the main legal issues you see currently you guys are running up against that a lot of churches are facing? What are some of the main things going on out there in the legal world? Well, one of the, one of the areas is in terms of new congregations, the ones that are vital growing, are trying to get properties to worship in. Yes. And uh, municipalities don't particularly like property being taken off of the of the uh, tax rolls so uh that's that's one area where we do a lot of church zoning work uh in order to get uh an opportunity for churches to have a place to worship and we also do the the construction and the other the legal work that relates to that so that's that's one big area um another big area is with respect to denominational churches that may be seeking to move from one denomination oh, to the other uh, for, for, you know, for theological reasons. Hmm. And the, the denomination from which they're departing uh, wants to keep the property. Yeah. So, you know, you end up with the, with the congregation moving, but the property, the empty church, remains with the denomination. Now, of course, the souls, the people, are far more important than the uh, building, but still, you, you don't like to see that happen. So you brought up uh, churches wanting to move into retail space or zoning issues. I'm interested in that one. Our church actually meets in a warehouse, uh, and we're going to stay there for a while. But we did kind of look around the area 
uh, into there's a lot of empty real t- retail space and things like this. And we were always told categorically the towns would just not let us in. Is that true or are there ways around that? Uh, it is uh, all too often true. Not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some suburbs that are worse than others. I won't mention any names. I think I think <laughs> I'm in them. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the there is a a federal law which relates to this, which requires municipalities to treat churches no worse than they would treat other similar uses. Hmm. So if they allow, say, a movie theater or another public assembly building, it's very difficult for them to also deny that to uh, a church. Hmm. And so we do a lot of that. I mean, that is our, our not, I don't personally, but my partners do that as their bread and butter. Okay, that's fascinating. Okay, so most of our audience... My guess is that they're not pastors, they're not lawyers, and they're probably not likely elders. We probably have some, but the vast majority of people, my guess would be uh, simply attend a church. Uh, or maybe they don't attend a church, or they're considering a church. What, what are some ways that just a, uh, a general congregant can be mindful of some of the things, some of the patterns of the things of wolves and shepherds clothing that this article points out? Like, What are ways that we can not only be praying for our churches and leaders, but also like have our eyes open to some patterns or some telltale signs that we can be mindful of to kind of guard against some of these things? Well, I think uh, just looking at who is on the board, you know, if the board ceases to be an independent uh, organization and a a check on the pastor, the the congregant, the individual member, can know that. And he should also attend, he or she should also attend the the annual meeting or the Mm. the meeting of the congregation. That's good. Pay attention. Read yep. what's going on, uh, and uh, and even if they're not a board member or a, an elder, then they should still talk to the elder and the board member and find out what's going on. And by the way, my experience is even if you go into a church congregation and decide I don't really want to volunteer for anything, uh, the pastor will eventually get to you <laughs> and ask you to do something. You know, I, I moved from a church where I was doing everything to a church, and I said, no, no, I'm not going to do a single thing. <laughs> but, you know, within, within a year, I was ushering, I was teaching, I was lead, leading a small group, oh, funny. And, and I was chairman of the finance board. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, We've been there. <laughs> say, you're, talking, you're, you're, you're talking to a couple of pastors. We know that very well. Uh, Mr. Brisky, thank you for joining us. You, you can learn more at maukbaker.com. Plus, you can tune in every day on AM 1160. For Lawyers for Jesus Radio, each week the attorneys from Malcolm Baker will cover a variety of topics relating to the gospel, in law, and in the marketplace. That's weekdays at 6.30 p.m. That's Saturday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. Mr. Brisky, thank you so much thank for you. joining us once more. Coming Thanks, up, guys. Thank you. Coming up next, we like to wrap up the show every day with uh, craziness, some, just some insanity we found on online. And man, today does not disappoint. Some interweb insanity that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good. A show about the insanity of life. <laughs> this will fit. Sometimes it's a little more insane than usual. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Plus, you can go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. Plus, I think there's a photo of us there. I apologize in advance is for that. that. But we like to end every show 
Just a little bit of craziness that we found online. And uh, I don't know why I'm always surprised that every single day there's more craziness in the world. We just keep finding them. Like that just seems it's a never-ending pool of options every single day when we it, do this show. But it means the internet always wins. Is that what it is? Yes. The internet always wins. Why don't you start us off with some of the craziness that you found? We're going to California. Note to lottery winners, the headline reads, don't tell your roommates you won $10 million. <laughs> the last few weeks have been a roller coaster ride for a California lottery player who believed himself to be the winner of a $10 million prize. Oh, boy. In the days leading up to this day, the guy who had not been uh, notified, who had not been identified, bought a $30 scratcher ticket at a local grocery store. Uh, best case scenario is he won. Worst case, well, he never imagined that. So basically, while he slept, after he had told his roommates that he won, his roommate stole the ticket and put in a fake one, like one that didn't win. The guy goes back to the store, and they're like, this isn't a winner. And his roommate got arrested. He got caught. No kidding. Yep. Wow, that ended more tragically than I anticipated. Ah, but he deserved it. Come on. (laughs) The trash move. Maybe just talk to your roommate. Be like, hey, can I get, like, I don't know, a million out of it? Yeah. Can I get something? Would you give a million to your roommate if they asked nicely? Depends if I like my roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Is there one you want to throw under the bus right now on the air? Okay. (laughs) All right, this one's out of Georgia, and I I have to share a little bit about this story. It says, Delta Airlines apologizes for creepy Diet Coke napkins. Oh, this one's bad. I saw this on the news this morning. Uh, So let me just give you some context. Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola have apologized for creepy in-flight napkins that featured a spot for passengers to write their phone number to pass to their plane crush. The airline said in a statement, It was already in the process of removing the offending Diet Coke napkins from flights even before a social media outcry from passengers. It literally reads, it's got a picture of uh, a Coke bottle. It says, because you're on a plane full of interesting people and, hey, you never know. And then it's got two blank spots for a name and a phone number. Who thought that would be a good idea? Especially, like, in this culture we live in where everything is torn apart. I just, that person needs to lose their job probably. (laughs) No kidding. That's crazy. Ohio. Man might not be so happy his lost wallet was turned into the police. I'm listening. A shopper accidentally left his wallet behind while shopping Friday evening at an Ohio store. The wallet was turned over to police. However, officers said when they opened the wallet to find some identification, they also found cocaine and methamphetamine. The police said besides the illegal drugs, the wallet also contained the man's driver's license. (laughs) They sent him a message. What we would like to see you do is to stop up at the station and take responsibility. Maybe then we'll be able to get you some help for something you've been struggling with. The ball's in your court one way or the other. We'll be talking soon. You know, sometimes I hear these stories and I think, yeah, we're not doing too bad. <laughs> you know, like sometimes the decisions that we read about, you're like, okay, well, my, my, day, my day could have been worse. This one's from uh, Indiana. Headline says, inmate's ceiling escape does not end well. So, of course, i got to read you some of the story. An inmate fell through the ceiling while trying to escape from a jail in Indiana. Jackson County Sheriff Rick Meyer posted on Facebook that 28-year-old Blaze Ayers bolted from the officers and locked himself in a medical room on Monday. When officers got into the room, Ayers had made his way into the ceiling per the AP. The sheriff says Ayers eventually fell through the ceiling and onto the floor of the jail's booking area. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the places. I mean, that's like out of a sitcom, right? Imagine the look on everyone's face. Maybe a sitcom, like a cartoon, like yeah, you climb in. Right, right. That poor guy. Okay, okay. We're going to go to Chicago. All right, why not? And this one I've just found more interesting because we did this in our family. Uh, 
The Loyola University Medical Center in Maywood reported that it treated eight people during the polar vortex of for burns of people who went outside and flung boiling water See? in the air to watch it turn into frozen vapor. I knew that would happen. They treated patients in the range of age 3 to 53. Oh, no. <laughs> and they say they warned people to not perform the challenge, noting there is no safe way to do it. I got to be honest. Uh, we did this. Of course you did. We didn't boil it because we weren't like. It was more had to do with patience. Like, we weren't patients. We just threw hot water out there. But I did see some of the video clips of people chucking them and it landing on them and not ending well. So, so this is this is a lesson in patience actually serving to protect you, yes. is what you're saying. This is I was the, like, just throw cold water. It's good. <laughs> the silver lining of uh, being impatient. This one's out of New York. This is NYPD demands Google stop revealing drunk driving checkpoints. The New York Police Department is demanding Google deactivate a map uh, a map feature that showed drivers the locations of the city's speed cameras and drunken driving checkpoints. I'm amazed that Google got away with doing that in the first place. Yes. Like, what is the thought process it's, there? There's no good thought process there. It just seems like Google... I'm going with it was more of a glitch. You think so? I think so. All right. Well, that's possible. All right. Alabama. Firefighters rescue toddler stuck in toy machine. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, Ezra Ingersoll... Uh, his mom, Kelsey, said she brought her family to have dinner with some friends and their children at a pizzeria. Uh, and it was one of these places with a game room. So you can watch your kids, let them run around. You're going to realize as your kids get older, these places are the ones you want to go to. See, every room in my house has a game room. Yep, right yep. At some point, though, Ezra made a decision. This little child wanted a toy from the claw machine. He'd been checking it out. It took him seconds, but he climbed into the machine. Oh, wow. He was able to climb up it and into the machine. The mom turned around and saw her two-year-old son standing up inside the toy machine. Because <laughs> the opening was large enough for the kid to crawl in, but the machine door wouldn't open in the other direction. The restaurant didn't have a key to the machine, so police and firefighters responded and took the machine apart. Uh, <laughs> well, Ezra was calm. Ezra was not panicking. First responders eventually took off the top of the machine and climbed in to grab Ezra. Uh, the pizzeria also had a sense of humor about the situation. Kelsey said the restaurant was great and even invited the family back for free pizza and toys. And it ends. Sounds like the night was a success for Ezra. That's so good. I'm picturing my boy who he's just started doing this thing where um, right before he does something he knows he's not supposed to do, he looks right at us and starts shaking his head no. So he'll like start reaching for something he's not supposed to reach, and then he'll look back at us and just shake his head no before he does it. So I'm picturing turning around, and he's like in this toy case, and he's just That's looking at us, awesome. shaking his head. Okay, so this one is maybe the most terrifying headline I've read in a while. Um, family arrives home to find leopard in the house. <laughs> I'm intrigued. A family returned to their southern India home after a few days away and discovered it had been invaded by a dangerous squatter, a leopard. And the photo in the article <laughs> is a leopard just hanging out like, hey, what's going on? That would be unbelievable. Welcome home, everybody. So glad that you're here. How? Ta- what would you do? I would run out of the house. <laughs> I'd be like, you can have my house. I'm right. out of here. Right. We live somewhere else now. It's <laughs> yes. your house. You win. Because even if they get it out, you know the leopard a leopard has an ability to get into your home. Yeah, that's a good point. That's terrifying. I would not be able to sleep at night. No, no get way. Leopard proof. If your house is not leopard proof, <laughs> you need to move. Is that a package they offer in yeah. India? Like I've been getting squirrels in my attic. That's not that seems like a normal thing. <laughs> Leopards uh, in your house, not so much. Oh man. Well, this was yet again a fun time together. Fun time. Thank you for joining us here. We hope that you were challenged, encouraged to lean in, to not shy away from the conversation, the gray, the tense, but to ask questions, create space. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
retired general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.